Mostly Awesome, a podcast about the wins and fails of innovators. Brought to you by CDTM in Munich. Let's welcome Sven Schmidt to today's episode at Mostly Awesome. Sven is CMO at Machine Seeker Group, Europe's leading classifieds group for used machinery. Additionally, he became kind of an entrepreneurial influencer, renowned for his popular analysis as co-host at Deutsche Startups with Alexander Hüsig and frequent guest at the OMR podcast with Philipp Westermeier. He started his career after graduating in business administration from the university in Leipzig, went on to being a consultant at McKinsey and then became a successful serial entrepreneur. After that, he was an active venture partner for VCs such as Excel in London and Early Bird Venture Capital in Hamburg. For them, he invested, among others, successfully in startups like Vinted, Prezi and Mitfahrgelegenheit.de, which is now part of BlaBlaCar. Exactly. In our conversation, Sven shares in particular insights about the role of a venture partner and what triggered the investment decision in Fiverr, Vinted, Prezi and Mitfahrgelegenheit back then. We also talked about the impact of COVID-19 on his own investments and why he decided against home office at the Machine Seeker Group Although everything is shifting from offline to online due to COVID-19. And Sven also shared why he is not an active business angel, nor would consider a political career. We are Easy from Class of Spring 20 and Melly from Class of Fall 19 from CDTM in Munich. And now let's lean back, listen in and learn from Sven. Hi Sven. We are glad to have you at Mostly Awesome today. You're most prominently known as a frequent podcast guest at OMR and co-host, but you've also gone above and beyond in terms of professional experiences and success. Now, what is your one-liner that describes you best when you introduce yourself? Well, first of all, thanks for having me. Much appreciated. Well, at the end, that's my daily business, and that is being the CMO of the Machine Seeker Group, and we are the leading classifieds group for used machinery in Europe. Okay, but now I'm curious, how does your involvement in both the OMR and Deutsche Startups podcast fit in there? Well, I think for me, it's mostly like a hobby. Some people might play the piano on the weekends and I do podcasts. It started all off when Philip Westermeyer, who's the founder and CEO of OMR, I think asked me nearly five years ago if I want to do a podcast with him and become like a regular guest on his show. That kicked it off. And then about two and a half years ago, I discussed with um, Alexander Husing, who's the uh, founder and um, editor-in-chief of Deutsche Startups, if we want to do a podcast together. And then it kind of like happened. So uh, now I'm doing bi-weekly the uh, DS Insider podcast and probably about every one or two months, I'm a guest at OMR. Mm -hmm. Did you have related hobbies prior or prepare in a certain way for it? Well, I think I've been a venture partner at two VCs for a total of six and a half years, especially when I was at Excel Partners, that was 2010 to 2014, so uh, already some, some time ago, I was responsible for scouting deals. And what I'm doing in the DS Insider podcast is somewhat similar. So you talk to people and you try to connect the dots to find out what is kind of like the hot startup, who's looking at it. What about the core KPIs? So kind of like uh, the time at Excel trained me to uh, become the co-host of the DS Insider podcast. 
Now, through this podcast, Sven, you kind of brand yourself as an opinionated economic expert with a polarizing opinion. Have you always been so strongly opinionated? I guess so, to be honest. People who know me from when I was at school even tell me that I might have been even more opinionated 20 <laughs> years ago. Now, in your eyes, would you advise students and young professionals to also raise controversial opinions, although they might not have such a strong credibility that you have now due to your former role as venture partner, but also because you're a successful serial entrepreneur? Well, I'm not quite sure if that is the best advice, especially in a society like ours in Germany, which kind of like values to have more like a common opinion. I'm not that sure if being opinionated has a positive net present value. I would guess not. So it, it kind of like works for me now with the podcast, because having a strong opinion makes the podcast somewhat unique and interesting to listen to. However, in a business setup, I think... Communicating between the lights is most often uh, advisable. Mm -hmm. Talking about opinions, what is important for the next generation of founders to start a stellar career like yours? I think, first of all, and that's kind of like not that big of an insight to your audience, education is super important and network is super important. All the people in your program kind of like they are successful students at either LMU or, or, or like the Technical University of Munich, and then they applied to, so they showed initiative, and then they were selected. I read like more than 300 people apply for 25 positions, and it's like extra work. That kind of like is so important to go the extra mile. So some people tell me, ah, uh, I didn't try hard in high school, I didn't try hard at school, but now I'm ready to try hard. I always tell the people, try hard from the start, value the education, try to get the most out of the education. And something I did not realize when I studied is how important a network is and how important signaling is. So it is always very, very difficult if you meet someone to, to, give, to get a fair assessment of how strong that person really is. So you look at the signals. To which school did he or she go? Um, do you know anybody who knows the person? Really take your education seriously. Try to network with your, with your fellow students. Try to network with alumni. And so these would be kind of like the two recommendations I have. Mm -hmm. Noted. So what makes good signals versus bad signals? I always recommend... If a bachelor takes six semesters, try to get it done in, in six or seven. If you have kind of like time between the semesters, do like internships and maybe even start a small company to get your first entrepreneurial experience. Sometimes people ask me, why is it important to get the bachelor done in say like seven semesters out of 10? And it's always kind of like, Yes, the output is the same, but the time you need for the output is also very decisive if you run a business. That's why I always say lean forward. So you recommend it to even start your own small company during university. Now, once a student has graduated, what are the best next projects or career steps to pursue? It's easier for me to tell you what not to do. <laughs> That's And that fine as well. Not becoming a man management trainee at a large corporation. You won't learn anything what's relevant for an entrepreneurial career 
if you start as a management trainee, say at Siemens, you don't meet great people. You probably have not much of an impact. Obviously, there are exceptions to the rule, but still I recommend either go to a well-run high-growth company, so where you meet colleagues whom you might later together found your own company and you can build a great network within the industry. And more important, you have a first-row seat to see what works and what does not work. Other options, and that's obviously with regards to signaling, if you look at backgrounds of successful founders or even successful VCs, very often you see on the one hand side McKinsey or BCG, on the other side Goldman and, and Morgan Stanley. This is kind of like you continue your education for like two or three years and you get even paid for it. At the end, you learn analytical tools, you learn hard work, you learn how to pitch. Obviously, you have three choices. Start a company right out of school. Once again, depends on how great your idea is, depends on what personality you are, depends on how strong your co-founders are. Second of all, go directly to a high growth company. I don't know if you're interested in enterprise software and you are Munich, Salonis. If you are interested more like in stuff that's probably easier to understand, maybe go to Personio. Finally, if you want to kind of like continue your education and get another strong brand on your CV, then BCG, McKinsey, Goldman, or Morgan Stanley. Mm -hmm. Now let's look into your future. Where do you see yourself headed in the next year? Uh, that, that's kind of like an easy answer. When we started the podcast, I told you that with a one-liner, I would describe myself as the CMO of the Machine Seeker Group. And when I did a, I think the fancy work would be management buy-in um, into the company uh, three or four years ago, my thesis was that we are going to see the same consolidation in the B2B classified space, we have seen in the B2C classified space. So obviously, from a consumer perspective, the three most important decisions are job, real estate, and car. And so you have uh, Stepstone, LinkedIn, Sing, you have Mobile and Autoscout24, and you have Immoscout24 in, in Germany. So the consolidation in the B2C space in Germany has taken place, and it's the same in the other countries. And I, when I looked at the B2B classified space, that was not really consolidated like three or four years ago, and it is still not. So as a machine seeker group, we are trying to consolidate the market, growing in each of the European countries and adding new features and new services. We have such strong tailwinds that it will be interesting enough for me to stay on board for the next five to 10 years. Okay, now let's move a little bit away from you personally to your role as industry analyst and opinion leader. You have profound market knowledge, high ethical principles, but also a strong network. So it seems like the complete package to become a popular politician. What are the chances that you transfer to politics? Zero. <laughs> Why? I'm not a member of any political party. I'm not even... A member of in Germany, we have it's very difficult to explain in English. We have this Vereinskultur, club culture, but that doesn't get it across. And I am not even a member of a Verein. I was recently forced to join a gymnastics club so that my children can kind of like join. The political parties always expect you to have like a certain set of opinions. And I think my opinions are across the whole range. I enjoy doing my, my podcast and being free to say what comes to my mind. 
Okay, but would it be an option for you to join a ministry as advisory board member? To be honest, all these people who are then join advisory boards and then come together, I don't know, two, three, four times a year and then sit around a table and eat cookies, that might be good for your resume and that might be good for your network. But I think the impact is very limited, the actual impact. And it takes lots of patience and then there are 20 people and then you have to wait until you can speak. No, no, that's uh, not a good fit for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, the political sphere also faced strong criticism as COVID-19 advanced. And you recently stated in the OMR podcast that crisis accelerates change that was bound to happen anyway. Now, I'm curious, how did the pandemic impact you professionally? Well, I said that COVID-19 accelerated the transition from offline to online. Obviously, sometimes it's better for society that change happens a bit slower. Um, I think that was the context uh, I said this. And the impact of COVID-19 on my businesses, it differs. With regards to the Machine Seeker Group, the short-term impact is negative since COVID-19 has a negative impact on our clients, the dealers of used machinery. So the pace of investing in new machinery has slowed. So that's not good for the business of our dealers. And that is negatively impacting our business. Midterm will benefit from the accelerated transition from offline to online. So the online as a sales channel has become much more important given that there are currently no trade fairs. There are no offline events. Short term, bit negative, midterm, positive. ICS, which is my kind of like holding company with a good friend of mine, with Daniel. We own a travel company or a company in the travel space. Obviously, uh, I don't need to explain that. Their corona or COVID-19 has a hugely negative impact. On the other companies, it's kind of like some are hit a bit, some have a bit negative impact, some have a bit positive impact. So overall, I would have preferred COVID-19 not to happen. Nevertheless, as you said, COVID-19 accelerated the change from offline to online. Yet, I stumbled upon a LinkedIn post from you where you stated that the Machine Seeker Group has decided against home office at all, which is quite a controversial opinion since many companies jumped on the yeah, new work bandwagon. Why are you so strongly against home office and flexible working? I um, wrote a post on LinkedIn with regards to the Machine Seeker Group. And I also uh, said that the conditions we have might differ from conditions other companies are in. And obviously, the business model we have might, might differ. And the growth stage we are in, we are growing strongly. So it's very important to build the culture. I believe it's beneficial to be in the office when you're building a culture or when you're setting a culture up. Second of all, with regards to flexible hours, we are serving right now 10,000 sellers of used machinery in Europe, and they are mostly active between 8 o'clock in the morning and 5 p.m. in the afternoon. To make an extreme comparison, if we were to work only at night and our clients work during the day, that's just not a good fit. We should be there to support our clients, our customers, when they are working. Huh? And so that's kind of like with regards to flexible working hours. With regards to home office, I said that I believe that lots of people underestimate the secondary impacts uh, with regards to mental health. We recently hired a young graduate, and he 
did an internship before with a big four company and his spouse, she was also kind of like already working and both young people and they're sharing kind of like um, a two-room apartment and uh, both were working from home. And I think one from the kitchen table and uh, the other the other out of the living room. And um, so we made him a job offer and um, I asked him, when do you want to start? And he said, if possible tomorrow, I need to get out of the apartment. And I said, and I said, well, you're most welcome to start tomorrow. Uh, he felt he was, for four months, he kind of like was in this 50, 60 square meter apartment the whole day, the whole week, the whole four months. So I think it's, it is beneficial to get out of the apartment. It is beneficial to meet your colleagues. It is beneficial to have a spacious office. And we have about 720 square meters in Essen at max 30 people in the office. So that comes down to 24 square meters per person office space. We do not have huge offices. We have single rooms uh, where sometimes one person sits in, sometimes two. Um, and we have invested heavily in, uh, in, in the safety of our employees. And all these things together for that reason, we made the decision for the machine seeker group. So it does. If if you have um, kind of like um, classical startup office space where you have thirty people in one room, obviously during COVID nineteen, home office is advisable. Uh, but but we have a very different setup. It's the same if you are say you're working for like a, a big law firm, and most of these law firms have for every lawyer they have an office. Um, so there's, there isn't much downside and there's very limited risk. And most often in the office, you have a better internet connection. Uh, you have much better kind of like, uh, working conditions. And so that's why we came up, um, with the decision. And obviously it was hotly debated on LinkedIn. And, uh, but I'm always trying, like lots of people say, now we have, everybody has to go to home office and then. Oh, great home office. And then everybody seems to has, has a need to agree. And our philosophy at the Machine Seeker Group is not kind of like to follow the crowd, but to come up with our own opinion. And we have pro and contra arguments. And then we make our decision. That's how we try to rethink the whole business we are in. That's why we try to challenge the norm. I totally get the benefits of being in the office and of course I miss it too. Yet I think home office definitely comes with advantages like less commute stress, location independence, just to name a few. So why do you not opt in for a hybrid solution to kind of get the benefits of both worlds? The, the, the office space in Essen is just much cheaper than the office space in Munich. So uh, <laughs> that might be the driver here. No, but with regards to flexible home office, I know some companies who do it, and then you never know who's in the office on a given day. That's just so hard then to build a culture. And that's just something we, where we believe that culture is very, very important. So we take lots of time to select the right employees. We then try to train the employees, and then we try to explain what's our perspective on our businesses and what our culture is. We believe we can do that much better when uh, we are in the office. Obviously, there are different opinions, different setups, 
different perspectives on that. We just made the decision for us. We just feel that or I personally have, have one very strong feeling, and that is the state, or in this case, the government, meaning who betters Heil, should let entrepreneurs be entrepreneurs. If the government tells the entrepreneurs how to run the business, we are all fucked. <laughs> let entrepreneurs be entrepreneurs might become my favorite quote of this episode. No, but corporate culture was mentioned several times during our conversation. How do you build a good company culture? I think try to be consistent. Think about what approach you want to take and then to a certain extent stick to that approach. If you make decisions, if you then revert the decisions, communicate that very clearly. But I also think that different startups, different businesses require different cultures. If you run kind of like a vertical integrated beauty startup and you address a certain segment of say female customers you probably need a different culture than the machine seeker group has we are serving 10,000 dealers and most of our dealers are male most of them are over 40 most of them are not on instagram and all of our clients have the dealer dna doesn't matter if it's a dutch person or someone from italy Dealers are very similar across all countries. They know I have to buy at a cheap price and I have to sell at a high price and I have to make it happen. We talk to our clients differently than if I were to say high price cosmetics to females below 40. There is not one size fits all. You have to think what culture would be the best for your company. Is it a fit with the employees? And also, is it a good fit for the founders team? And that's what you have to think about. We are a very numbers-driven company. We track all the key numbers on a daily basis. We have weekly reports. We have a weekly all-hands meeting where we discuss the most important KPIs across the companies and where we explain what decisions we are taking and what is the strategy going forward. And that's just how we run and it works for us. It might not run for another company. Now, before your role as Managing Director and CMO of the Machine Seeker Group, you have been a venture partner for six and a half years, first at Early Bird and then at Excel. So what is the role of a venture partner? Venture partner is kind of like a, a non-strictly defined role. So as a VC or as a VC company, you use it if someone is mostly not on a carrier track. Carrier track means you start off as an analyst, then associate, then vice president, then principal, then salary partner, and then general partner and uh, venture partner sometimes it means you have a gp who's kind of like not being any longer a gp in a new fund so he becomes the venture partner still taking care of his board seats sometimes you have a venture partner if you want to have a loose relationship with somebody in a who's in a different geography and you believe this person can help the firm in my case it was it was mostly about scouting identifying interesting companies and um, that was for most of the time a part-time role for some time i worked full-time for excel and for me as i had been a founder before and now i'm a founder again it was just very interesting to see the other side and it was an opportunity to learn a lot Mm -hmm. Then in your case, as a scouting venture partner, so to say, how does that role differ from a business angel? Oh, um, I think most of the business angels, they invest in, uh, now it's called pre-seed and seed. So very, very early. And if you are with Excel, you invest in the 
Series A or Series B. So I think it mostly differs, and especially relating to me, if you're a business angel, it's mostly about judging the team, judging the addressable market, having a good understanding uh, about competing startups and knowing what VCs are looking for right now and therefore reducing financing risk. For me, it was mostly about finding great startups where I could tell, wow, these have great KPIs and I believe they can scale these KPIs. I'm much better looking at KPIs and I'm really good with numbers. So if if you show me core data, if uh, you show me how you're doing customer acquisition, I have a very good feeling if you can scale that. But I need some data to come up with an opinion. And most of the angels, they, are, they look at a team, they talk to the founder, they look at the deck, they see how, how well can they pitch it. And I think that makes a great angel. And a great angel must have a good feeling for people, must have a very strong network. My personal strengths are more on being very analytical with regards to the key performance indicators. And I mean, you have sourced the investments of Excel in startups like Prezi, Fiverr, and Vinted, previously named Kleiderkaisel, or even Bitfile Gelegenheit for Early Bird. When you look back, what triggered your investment decision for those deals? Were it solely strong financial KPIs? Well, I think two things. First of all, I was able to understand the models. And, and second of all, well, with a bit of the exception of Prezi, they are all marketplaces. Easy to understand for someone who has studied business administration. These are all not like deep tech startups, how you would call some sort of that today. And with, for example, Vinted, who's a super successful company, uh, I, I think I sourced the company in 2012. And back then, uh, I thought about, um, first of all, uh, how, how, how big are the, the tailwinds? And came to the conclusion that pre-love fashion or second-hand fashion, that's so many, so many tailwinds. That's important. Second of all, back then, the company now known as Winted was active in three or four countries, and all the KPIs looked great. So there was data to look at, cohort data, and reach and traffic. And combining the macroeconomic tailwinds with already great KPIs drove the investment decision. With Fiverr, I think Fiverr identified for Excel, I think in 2010, but then Bessemer did the Series A, and then Excel invested in the Series B, or a bit later, and it was the same, increasing traffic, and obviously, if you have a marketplace that's growing, then the networking effects get stronger. To a certain, if you execute well, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. There are lots of tailwinds, meaning you can do some of the work, say, in low-cost countries, and then the buyers are in, in high-cost countries. And Fiverr has benefited tremendously from COVID, so it's one of the COVID winners. Obviously, Mitfahrgelegenheit now has been sold to, has been merged with BlaBlaCar some time ago. BlaBlaCar has been negatively impacted by COVID-19 and also kind of like the Flixbus and other bus startups are now competing with carpooling. But luckily for us, we have sold that investment that was done by ICS some time ago. So uh, when you ask me how is COVID-19 treating my businesses, if I was still invested in it, I should have noted that. And then with Prezi, for the listeners who don't know it, 
It's an idea to compete with PowerPoint with features more suited for the web. At least the idea initially was to build a marketplace of knowledge so that people post their praises to praisey, other people can see it and be inspired. But obviously it's not that strong a marketplace like the other three companies. Praisey is now doing well again. However, there was some technological shift with regards to Flash, which kind of like in that case was a headwind for Praisey. I also looked at Excel, I looked at FlixPass, I looked at Delivery Heroes, all the stuff where, where networking effects and come into play. And uh, that's something I, I really liked and still like. So speaking of hot topics, you seem to know faster than anyone else about the latest topics in the VC or entrepreneurship scene, at least speaking from impressions from your podcast. So how do you gather your insider knowledge? Yeah, as I initially kind of like explained when I was scouting, especially the German market for Excel, you build a network, learn how to gather information and connect the dots. You learn to say, look at kind of like farm, LinkedIn, or similar web for learning. So if you look at traffic data, you look at startups that are quickly adding employees. In Germany, you have the Handelsregister, uh, that's the German company house, where you can look at new information. You look at soft data, at hard data, you talk to people, and then kind of like you try to connect it and, and come up with the new information. And although you are fully focused on the Machine Seeker group, we know from your other podcast arrangements that you still have an eye on the startup scene. So is there a startup out there we should all watch out for in the upcoming years? If, 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 I, if I were to know that, yeah, I should have invested in it. Even if I talk about them in the podcast, very seldomly I have access to the hard KPIs. So I'm often come up with an opinion based on limited facts. But obviously, and I think you had the founder CEO on your podcast already, Personio seems to do really great and they seem to benefit from COVID-19 since companies invest more in digitization and Personio is executing greatly, adding talent to the team. Everybody's telling me that's 100% the next Munich unicorn. And otherwise, look at what Picos Capital is doing. Look at what Unternehmertum is financing. Both VCs, very, very smart people and certainly you will see the very successful portfolios but are you still active as a business angel i've never been a business angel um, um ah, why not well for two reasons i think as i said um business angels they need to be excellent at reading the people excellent and seeing kind of like understanding what a serious avc currently is looking at uh and to, to reduce the financing risk And I like to look at hard data and a business angel has to have a great gut feeling and that's not me. So this is kind of like yeah. the first reason. The yeah. second reason is lots of business angels invest like 50K here, 25K here. And the dirty secret is that when they do the investment, they try to avoid all the work unless it becomes apparent that the startup is successful. In that case, they do some calls mm -hmm later to claim that they have been crucial in making that startup a success. So uh, it, it's just not, not in my DNA then kind of like to go dark on a startup. But on the other hand, if I own like say 1% in a company and I do the work, then I work 99% for others. And once again, for all these reasons combined, I have never made any 
business angel investments. Okay, I see. And how is the commitment of a venture partner tied to the investment by the VC firm? Oh, I was able with Early Bird and also with Excel to co-invest into the deals I sourced. So I'm still a shareholder in Vinted, still a shareholder in Fiverr, still a shareholder in, in Prezi. I've only exited my investment in the Mitfahrgelegenheit. Ah, okay. So you only made your investment alongside the VC firm, right? Well, in case of Mitfahrgelegenheit, I was able to invest directly. In case of my Excel investments, I invested alongside Excel. However, Fiverr is now a public company since last year. So I, I do own, we do own um, just stock in Fiverr. So if I have the opportunity to invest alongside other people's I respect in a deal, in a later stage deal, I do consider that uh, for two reasons. First of all, it allows me to invest more money into the deal, so it becomes more relevant. And second of all, I can see hard data, so I can make my judgment based on KPIs and not so much on gut feel. Mm -hmm. Okay, so before we finish off our conversation with the toolbox that we always ask, I'm personally really curious about your take on business administration, since you come from a business background, just as Melly and I do. Do you think it is still worth it today to study business administration? To be truly honest, I believe that it's more important where you study, at which school, and what are your fellow students. Second of all, I would say software will eat the world. So studying computer science and then really understanding code, software architecture is really beneficial. If one of the listeners has the choice, I would say, hey, go to Stanford and study computer science. And now, before we wrap it up, we fire at you our famous toolbox questions, kind of. Uh, basically, it's all about tools you really like to use. Mm -hmm. And actually, we started our toolbox with four questions, but we just added a fifth one. So Let's start with our new edition. Okay. Who do you love to follow on social media? So to say you would never ever miss a post from that person. Okay. Uh, well, first of all, everybody should follow Hussein Kanji on Twitter. Hussein is a former colleague of mine from Excel, who is now the general partner of Hoxton Ventures, a London-based VC firm. And uh, Hussein, who's a great guy, but also he has one of the best Twitter feeds uh, that there is, he's posting interested technology content. And so instead of you being forced to scout all the websites, he is doing that for you. And so his Twitter feed is a must read. Second of all, same applies. If you do something about marketplaces, you must read and listen to uh, Fabrice Ginra. Uh, Fabrice Ginra is the uh, general partner of FJ Labs, probably the most prominent and most active global marketplace investor at a pre-seed stage. And he's the founder of OLX. And I had the pleasure of meeting him a couple of times while I was at Excel. So really smart guy, really interesting how he shares everything on, on his own website. And he's now doing, I think, Twitch and streaming and everything. So lots of stuff to learn. Third of all, I always recommend to read everything from Bill Gurley. Bill Gurley general partner of Benchmark, super smart guy, has a great kind of like block, if you want to call it like above the crowd, because he's kind of like relating to his size. He played basketball in college, so he's he's rather, rather tall and also has a great Twitter account. 
And if you want to read stuff uh, from a German VC, I recommend Christoph Jans, who is the general partner of uh, Point9. Uh, he writes about marketplaces and ZaaS on his blog. I think the posts have become somewhat more irregular than before. By the way, same with Bill Gurley. So if people become too successful, they have less and less time to write blog posts. And fifth and finally, Dan Primark, who is now with Axios, he writes a daily newsletter about what's happening in venture. And that's a must-read of everybody in the valley. So once again, Twitter feed from Hussein Kanji, Fabrice Grinder, everything on FabriceGrinder.com, Bill Gurley about the crowd in the Twitter feed, Christoph Jans, and finally, Dan Prim- sign up to Dan Primark's newsletter. I read it every day. Wow, great. And you've already anticipated my next question about your favorite newsletter. So it's the one of Dan Primark, I see. Dan, heading to the third question, what's your favorite book? To be truly honest, I read mostly fiction books, and but I don't read so many business books uh, because I always feel that most business books, they have one great idea and it takes you like 20, 30 pages to roll it out, but you can't sell a book with 30 pages, so you've write 300. Unfortunately, then kind of like I would call the efficiency of the book over the pages 30 to 300, kind of like is, is, is not that great. And so I prefer to read long-form content. Very often, before there is a book, there is an article, which you can read in 30, 40 minutes. So I, I prefer to read long-form content over business books. I feel it's much more efficient. Okay. And which app should everyone download? Favorite app. So obviously, if you want to kind of like follow people on Twitter, obviously, you get a Twitter app. But but to be truly honest, I, I like the browser. So uh, I can't give you any super duper uh, tips about what's the hottest uh, new app. And is there any news app that you would recommend that publishes great content in a condensed way? To be truly honest, I think if you are interested in, 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 in great business content, uh, obviously the Financial Times, uh, The Economist um, are great. Uh, I think... Uh, I really benefited when I was a student of kind of like reading The Economist on a weekly basis. Uh, obviously, it takes time. Unfortunately, I have to, I have to admit right now it's it's time. I don't have to read The Economist magazine uh, every week, but it, it it really it really helped me uh, when I was in school. So uh, I think if you're a student and if you have the time, read every page of The Economist every week, and that will teach you a lot. And most of the writers are smarter than your professors. <laughs> okay. And the last one, what is your current favorite podcast or podcast episode? Well, there's uh, one podcast that Fabrice Skinner did in the beginning of the year regarding everything marketplace. And that was one of the best discussions I heard about marketplaces and changes in marketplaces and what, what are the value drivers and for which model or for which markets marketplace work the best. So great, great podcast. Mm, and how was it called? Do you remember the name? I, I'll try to look it up while we are here live on the podcast. So you kind of like hear me uh, surfing in the background. So um, and hopefully I'll uh, get it done within seconds. And yeah, it's a transcript, all things marketplaces with Fabrice Grinder. Cool. That was a really inspiring and in-depth toolbox. So thanks then. Yeah, and, and now I'm going to kind of like misuse the podcast for advertising for the Machines Group because we are looking for great talent to join our company. And fortunately, as you have learned when you listen to the podcast, we are not big believers in, in remote work, but we offer the best job in Essen. 
And if you say, for example, if you're, if you're based in Dusseldorf, it just takes you 25 minutes to go to Essen. So it's, it's shorter going from Dusseldorf to Essen than, say, traveling from Greffeling to Munich main station. Or if you're more familiar with Berlin comparisons, if you want to go from Mitte to, say, Charlottenburg, it also takes you longer. So please apply. And if you're at the podcast and if you have a great, great, and if you're a great person, just mail me at Sven. Dot Schmidt, so first name dot last name at maschinensucher.de and I promise to reply to all emails personally. So looking forward to get great applications. <laughs> Definitely convincing arguments and a likable CMO at Machine Seeker Group. So dear upcoming founders, you've heard it. Dive deep in your education, apply to the CDTM and lean forward on your path. Again, Sven, thank you so much for joining us today and we hope to hear soon from you at the CDTM. Yeah, thanks for having me and congrats for your success and all the best uh, for the future. And just a small hint from our side in order to not miss our upcoming episodes anymore, just subscribe to our podcast channel or follow the CDTM LinkedIn page. Thank you so much for listening in and stay healthy.